We swallow lies like candy all the time. And so often we don't know it because they're camouflaged. These lies of our enemy are out there and we don't notice them so often. Uh, they're sugar-coated or labeled organic or spouted by the pundits of popularity so that we assume that they are true. You know, camouflage, it, it's great if you're the hunter and you're hunting something. It's terrible if you're the hunted. But that's the way our enemy is. He is like a roaring lion, as 1 Peter says. Like a roaring lion, your adversary and devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. We've been looking at the three enemies of the soul that try to, to lie to us, to take over our lives, to deceive us. The devil, the flesh, and the world. And as I said at the beginning of this series, I've used a great book by John Mark Comer, uh, Live No Lives, and he puts it this way, uh, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. The, the devil, the flesh, and the world. In the last two weeks, we've focused on the devil the deceiver, and said that the chief way that he works is by lies. And today we're looking at the flesh, that human side of us, our, our desires, our passions, and, and the lie we swallow when it comes to our flesh. Uh, most often is the ever-popular statement that was made famous by none other than Shakespeare himself. This above all, to thine own self, be true. Uh, and just a quick Google search uh, reveals many variations of this theme. If you stay true to yourself, then you'll never have any regrets. Just be you. If you want to be happy, just be true to who you are. Be true to yourself and you will never fail. They all sound good, don't they? Uh, but here's the problem that I see. Which self should I be true to? Which self is truly me? Because here's the problem that I see. When I'm standing in line at the grocery store and waiting, and I, I feel a little schizophrenic, I look to my right and there's a People Magazine's issue of the sexiest man alive, Paul Rudd, and there's this desire deep within me to look like him. But right above that uh, People Magazine is a Snickers bar. And there's also this deep desire in me to, to eat that Snickers bar. And I feel like these two things are incompatible. And then if I look to my left, uh, there's all these sugary drinks uh, promising to give me more in energy. And, and I realize that I, I do need a little more energy. And so it's calling to me. And there's also, you know, uh, another magazine talking about the latest breakup of the celebrity couple or the sex secrets of the rich and famous. And they both speak to this deep desire to gloat over someone else's misfortune or envy over someone else's life. But then I wonder, what am I thinking? This isn't who I am. Uh, but the desires are there. Which one of those desires, which one of those cells am I supposed to be true to? Because here's the reality. I'm 51 years old. I cannot eat whatever I want and look like Paul Rudd. The two are incompatible. We want to act like Christ so often, but at the same time, we want the latest gossip. We want to be content with what we have, 
but we desire a lifestyle of the rich and famous. We want to read the Bible, but too often find ourselves scrolling social media. We want to be generous to those around us, but I also want a brand new pickup truck. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good husband, but also just want to sit on the sofa and surf the web or watch TV. So let me let you in on a secret. I love how John Mark Comer says it. Our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. Let me say it again. Our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. We know that to be true. But too often in the moment, those strong desires that we might have, desires to eat the second piece of cake, desires to make the rude comment about a coworker or spouse, desire to tell the latest gossip you just heard, desire to fudge a little on your expense report, desire to lust, to linger, to, to indulge, they are not the soul's deepest desires. For our deep desires to be fulfilled, we have to crucify our flesh as the Apostle Paul would state. We can't give in to those strong desires of the flesh that are so strong in the moment and are made worse by the world around us that oftentimes celebrates those desires and indulgences. Because if we feed those flesh desires, they don't actually lead to a true sense of ourselves. They don't lead to freedom, but rather they lead ultimately to slavery, and addiction. So being true to ourselves is one of the worst things you could ever do. It's a lie that we swallow because our strongest desires are often not our deepest desires. So I want to turn to the Apostle Paul in Galatians to give us a little more insight. We're going to be hanging out in chapter 5 and 6 of Galatians, such a great letter. And right off the bat in verse 1 of chapter 5, we read these fantastic words. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is where it is so important for us to define our terms because the word freedom has been camouflaged in the world today uh, to mean something different than what the Apostle Paul means. We think of freedom too often as the ability to do whatever we want to do. But that's not the freedom that Paul is talking about here in Galatians. In fact, that's not what freedom really meant even in the world uh, up until recently, uh, that we're free to do whatever we want. If we want to eat a Snickers bar, go for it. If we want to look like Paul Rudd, then go to the gym. But that's not the definition of the freedom in the Bible. Uh, we can thank the Enlightenment and postmodernism for that kind of redefinition of freedom. But for Paul, freedom is the ability to choose the good over evil. We have been set free to do good. That's so critical, this definition. Freedom is the ability to choose the good over evil. Um, and because if you follow the indulgences of the flesh, or as the world will say, the freedom to do whatever you want to do, it will eventually lead you to a yoke of slavery. It will eventually lead you to addictions. This distinction is so critical for our lives. Our, our flesh cries out for satisfaction, to feel good, to give in to the, whatever desire comes our way. And if we feed those desires, and eventually we'll live a life of compulsion and addiction, we have to fight against this enemy of our soul, our own flesh. 
Because before Jesus, we weren't free to choose good. But now, because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we have been set free to do good, to be good. Again, I turn to Paul, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Don't we see in that last verse being played out in the world today, biting and devouring each other? But we have been set free not to indulge the flesh, but to serve one another humbly in love. That's what our freedom is. Freedom to choose the good. Freedom to love as God loves. So what do we do with the flesh? Uh, verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember what I said earlier in this series, we're at war. That's kind of the premise of this whole series. We're at war with these enemies uh, of our soul, the devil, our flesh, and the world. And we are to crucify the, the flesh. It's a gruesome metaphor, but it helps us to understand how important this is, that this is a war. Paul isn't pulling any punches here. He wants us to understand the importance of this. All of humanity, though, yearns to have this deep desire, this sense of happiness or joy or peace, contentment. But that doesn't happen if we feed the desires of the flesh. Those feeding of the desires, it satisfies in the moment, but that grows in hunger and it isn't ever truly satisfied. It consumes you in the end. Too many of us, though, are trying to, to manage the flesh or to manage uh, our sin instead of crucifying our sin. The problem with that is that we feed our flesh too much. If we feed that sin, it grows. If we give in to those cravings all the time, those desires, they never satisfy. They keep saying, feed me, feed me, feed me over and over. They keep wanting more and more of our life until they take over. You know, ask the alcoholic how that works. Ask the sex addict how the management of sin is working. We've all heard the lie, I can stop whenever I want to. Because at first we, we see that our choices as freedom. But after a while, when you indulge the flesh, you no longer have a choice not to sin because the flesh has taken over. You've moved from freedom to slavery and sin. You've moved from flesh to compulsion to addiction. We have to fight against the flesh. We have to crucify the flesh. We have we have been set free to do good, to love God. And Paul tells us that we have to walk with the Spirit in order to do this. We can't do it on our own. And, and here again, Paul is warning us and telling us how to live. This is verse 16. I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They're opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. There's that definition of freedom. But if you're being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I've already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. 
we are at war. And the way we fight the flesh is through the Spirit of God. We use God's Spirit to guide us, to give us strength, to direct us. We can't fight this battle alone. We can't fight this war on our own strength. We will lose. We must tap into the Spirit of God to guide us. We need each other to fight this war over the flesh. Now, here's what happens more often than not. Satan tries to isolate us, tries to get us to feel the shame of whatever we're dealing with for what we've done, and, and he whispers the lie that we shouldn't share with anyone or let anyone know that we're struggling, that we feel like we have to fight alone. And that's the worst thing, because we aren't alone and we shouldn't fight alone. Paul says you have to fight with the power of the Spirit. You cannot fight this alone. And if we are alone, then Satan almost always wins the battle. If we live in hiding, then we can't overcome. We feel like we can't overcome. Because my willpower can only last for so long when it comes to my flesh. I start out in the morning with good intentions, but by the end of the day, so often I have failed again. Sometimes I can will myself to do good, but over the long haul, I need more than my own power. I will need the Spirit's power. So how do we access the power of the Spirit of God to overcome this battle of the flesh? Well, we have to have spiritual discipline. That's kind of what we've been talking about. We talked about quiet prayer and, and scripture over the last two weeks, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture. It's so important. Uh, but I want to give you two specific practices to truly help you overcome the enemy of our soul, which is our flesh. Both of these are effective tactics against Satan and the world as well. When you practice spiritual disciplines, you are you're helping strengthen your spiritual muscles and starve your flesh. These habits help us to access this, the power of the Spirit. And the first one is this, fasting. Fasting is a way to help discipline your body, to help you stand strong in the Spirit. I don't know if you knew this, but the early church practiced fasting twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. We have gotten away from this practice and we need to reintroduce it. Of all the spiritual practices, though, this one is the most difficult. This is the one I don't even want to think about at times because I know when I begin to fast, all hell breaks loose. And my flesh fights against me with a fervor that I didn't know I had. And my flesh can come up with so many different excuses, uh, every type of excuse in the book to keep me from fasting. Or I'll fast and I'm successful, and then Satan, my flesh, and the world will get me distracted and I have and have me move on to something else uh, so that I won't practice it regularly. Yeah, I fasted once, now I'm done, I can move on to something else. It's kind of like getting a gym membership and going and working out once and then saying, did that, now I'm done. It doesn't work that way. And, and you wonder why isn't your body any stronger than it is. It's the same with fasting. You have to practice it consistently. Uh, I, I want to confess something to you. You know, when I started to write this sermon, after I've done all the studying that I plan to do, typically I'll sit down to write, and it usually takes me one or two sittings, you know, between two and five hours to write a sermon after I've studied. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll finish in one sitting, uh, but 95% of the time I, I finish in just two sittings. When I started to write this sermon, it took me two weeks two weeks to actually get it on paper. It felt like I was walking through molasses. 
I knew everything I wanted to write down, but I just couldn't get it out. I couldn't get it on paper. And as I was finishing up the sermon, I realized why. Because my flesh knew what I'd be writing about fasting. And my flesh didn't want anything to do with it. And my spirit knew what was coming too. And I realized this sermon truly is for me. You know, oftentimes as preachers, when we preach, we're preaching to ourselves. And this is truly one of those sermons where I'm preaching to myself. And my flesh side of me doesn't want to hear this sermon. I didn't want to write it. And the Spirit of God was quietly opening my eyes to the reality that too often I'm trying to manage my own sin instead of crucify my sin. I'm a poor manager when it comes to managing sin. I have to learn that I am at war. I'm not managing this problem. I'm crucifying these problems of the flesh. Now, I've preached on fasting before, and there's some excellent resources out there if you want to know more, but let me just say a few comments on the practice of fasting. First, I'm specifically talking about fasting from food. You can fast from social media, from shopping, TV, etc., but I'm really talking about food right now. Uh, fasting is a way to turn the flesh part of you, your body, into helping you grow in the likeness of Jesus instead of being an adversary against growing in Jesus. Third, in fasting, we are deciding not to give our body everything it craves so that when we don't get everything we want in other parts of life, we don't get overwhelmed and freak out. We get used to the discipline and we realize we're not going to die if we, we skip a meal. And it becomes easier to resist the flesh when you practice this discipline. You know, fasting is practiced suffering. We all suffer in life. But here's a way to practice suffering that will ultimately bring us the joy instead of misery. You know, and in fasting, we're starving the flesh so that it grows weaker and that our spiritual muscles are getting stronger and that we can have more control of our lives. And, and then also, when you start to fast, if you're like me, you're going to hate it. It's going to feel like misery. You, you won't feel like it's a spiritual high. It will feel, uh, uh, it's humbling. It, when you fast, it's common to feel sad and anxious. It's common to be hangry. It reveals things in you that you would rather not have revealed. But after a while, just like working out, those feelings will be replaced with contentment and a sense of joy and even intimacy with God. And especially if you're dealing with strongholds in your life uh, of sin or addiction, I would encourage you to begin fasting at least one day a week. Uh, maybe just start with one meal a week. The second spiritual weapon for us in the arsenal against the flesh is this, confession. Confession is such a powerful spiritual practice that helps break our pride. It humbles our flesh and gets us out of hiding. Unfortunately, the church has forgotten much of the practice of confession. Many think we just need to confess our sins to God. Good enough. We're done. Uh, and, and yes, it's important to confess to God, but we need other people around us helping us. In fact, the scripture in James says this, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Did you hear that? We confess so that we may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Again, the enemy wants to isolate you, to keep your sins hidden and in the dark. But in confession, we're exposing them to the light, the light of Jesus. 
And a couple of words about confession. You might want to find a person or a couple of people would be even better and that you can regularly confess to one another to be in intimacy in that way. Or come and find me or one of the pastoral staff or a counselor and set aside some time to come and confess. It's humbling, but it will lift your spirits. It will help you begin to break that stronghold that is on you. It's a great beginning. And when you confess, you also need to share with your counselor or with your trusted friend what plan do you, you plan to take so that you don't indulge the flesh, so that they can hold you accountable. There's so much power in confession, and I encourage you to do so. Again, we are at war, and to win this war, we're going to have to tap into the power of the Spirit of God to help us overcome. So let me finish again with a couple of more passages from Galatians. As Paul reminds us, when the Spirit leads us, it produces some great fruit. This, uh, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Isn't this the life we truly learn to yearn to live for? This is truly the good life to live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is life in the Spirit. Those are our deepest desires. And again from Paul as we wrap up Galatians 6, 9. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. I encourage you not to give up in this fight uh, against the enemy of our soul, the flesh. So a couple of things, your next steps. Uh, I would encourage you to try fasting. Maybe just try fasting one meal a week. I've started to fast uh, lunch on Wednesday. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Pick a day, whatever works, and, and fast one meal a week. And then begin to grow in that as well. And then I also want to invite you to confess. If you're dealing with a, a hidden sin, something that you haven't shared with someone, I encourage you to find a trusted counselor or friend or, or, or get a hold of me, uh, message me or otherwise, and, and we can talk as well. Well, let's, uh, let's pray as we wrap up today. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your spirit that is powerful. Help us, Lord, to truly crucify our flesh and to trust your spirit. Help us to do those disciplines of quiet prayer that we've talked about, of, of meditating and reading scripture so that we can know your truth and to be empowered by the Spirit and not indulge our flesh by fasting and confession. We hold to these truths because we want those deep desires of love, joy, and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, those things that are truly filling of our soul. Help us not indulge the flesh, but help us to trust in you always. We thank you, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Go in peace this week.